0: We're out. Want well, to bet I can get to the store and back before
1: halftime? You're on. Yes!
2: It's good. Hey, heads up. Take a shot. it! Oh! He's going to be late. Drop it. Hey, battle in the corner. Drop it. Touchdown. What? Think you know what way it's going to go? Make your bet at Sports Interaction.
0: Till I die
2: back, back, back again. Uh, It's two times you get to see us uh, in a week, so you're lucky and you're welcome. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Toronto Till I Die, uh, the Toronto FC podcast that's now in full World Cup mode. I'm your host, Mike Newell. And in this week's show, we react to Canada's massive game, though a loss to Belgium. Uh, We put respect on the name because the performance was great. Um, and putting Canada football on the map. Uh, we review the final uh, round of opening games for the World Cup, and we do a quick TFC corner featuring the potential return of a midfield maestro. Uh, today's show is jam-packed, so let's get right to it uh, with my co-host Mike Singh and special guest off the bench, my co-host on the Tunnel Club, Sean Levy. Gents, how are you doing? I'm
1: doing pretty well, you know, um, had to take a day off today to recoup, recoup from something I must have uh, eaten last night, but um, I got to watch more footy, so I can't really complain.
0: <laughs> and that, that's what I was saying like, before we went on air. I'm like, I'm tired, but at the same time, I'm getting paid to watch football games and soccer games like could be a lot worse. So I'm going to try and bring the energy for Sean today, who's a little bit under the weather um and yeah just happy to be talking about canada playing its first world cup match since seems i mean you got to really think about it and really let that sink in 1986 because we've seen that thrown around so often or so
2: yeah so often uh but it really does mean something so yeah, yeah happy to be here boys Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, we'll get into that in a second, but let's get uh, some housekeeping notes out of the way. Um, first, We are going to be moving to a new podcast feed next week. So uh, if you are listening to this on a podcast form um, next week, just search Toronto Till I Die uh, wherever you get your podcasts um, and then hit the new subscribe and uh, notification button so you get uh, drops on when our podcast version of the show drops. Obviously, uh, if you're watching live, uh, we do also have the new YouTube channel Uh, we'll keep disseminating uh, the link for that as well. Um, But boys, let's get into it. I mean, what a day. Uh, You know, I I think if anybody follows me on social media, Twitter or Instagram, just saw um, I, I just sort of took snippets throughout the day of, you know, how I was feeling and the emotion of you know, realizing and waking up that Canada was going to be playing in the World Cup for the first time, really in my lifetime. Like, they were playing when, you know, I was a kid. But, uh, you know, again, I was a baby. Um, so, you know, this idea of them getting out there. And I knew the, there's going to be so many emotions. And Sean and I were together yesterday watching uh, the game at Darby House uh, in Toronto. So shout out the Darby Mag team uh, for putting together a really great event. Um, but, yeah, it was – it was incredible, just just before we even get into the game itself, which we will get into. But I, I just want to get a sense from you guys: what were your overriding emotions going into the match, sort of leading up to kickoff? Um, Sean, I'll start with you.
1: I mean, there was obviously nerves, right? Like you don't like you want the squad to come up and and you know represent our country and and show that they belong. But you know the fact that it's an unknown for us is from a, well, a From a Canadian men's national team fans' perspective, this is this is you know new waters that we're we were getting into, and so there was definitely a bit of nervous, but there was the excitement of we're finally here. You know the days like, you know I've enjoyed all the games prior, but there was nothing like the momentum of of watching yesterday's game and the build up to it was all that I could think about from I woke up yesterday morning.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I echo those same thoughts and it's funny. I've said this a couple of times in a couple of different shows, but my thoughts heading into the the game by the end of the game, they were completely different, completely backwards. Like we were talking before on Monday show and being like, Hey, what's, what's a good result for Canada. And Mm -hmm. we were saying, man, a a two one loss to Belgium, the number two ranked team in the world would arguably be the best result in Canadian men's national team history. <laughs> and after that game coming away from a one nil defeat, I'm pissed. I am upset that we're walking away with nothing to show from that game because just the way that the men's national team played and yeah, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, look, I, I again, uh, I sort of tweeted this out. I was on the go train into the city um, in, in the morning, uh, I wanted to get into town and watch the Spain Costa Rica game, which you know, holy wow, Spain—they look good. Um, Ooh. and maybe Costa Rica looked that bad, but <laughs> um, you know, just like reading people's tweets and and all of you that are that are Canadian soccer supporters and fans who have been with this program for decades and the emotion for a lot of people and what this meant, regardless of the result, this is before we knew what would happen in the game was just amazing and emotional for me. Cause I've been in this fight for a long time too, Sean, I know you have um, right. Like this, this idea of we have finally gotten the men's program to where we think it's always supposed to be. Uh, and that they were going to be in a world cup and stepping on the pitch with the best players I get a world and then it kicks off right and then the game kicks off and they are on the front foot from the off and it you know you you we've all watched world cup games in the past and you have the quote unquote minnow that comes out all fire and brimstone emotional coming out and using that adrenaline to carry them for the first you know 10 15 minutes of a match and then the team that's more highly favored finally gets their foot on the ball and really starts to sort of take over a game, right? That's that's what's supposed to happen in these types of matches. That didn't happen yesterday um, because Canada, I mean, I don't know if you want to call it as close to a perfect game plan as possible from John Herdman and his coaching staff, because obviously you don't get the win. But, I mean, could you ask for anything better from this team? Like, could you ask for more other than to obviously get a goal?
0: I don't I don't think so, right? They pressed, pressed, pressed. And even Kevin De Bruyne, after the match, came out and said they couldn't find a way to really solve Canada's press. And, you know, John Furman said this. And for whatever reason, we keep doubting him. But he says that Canada want to be a team that plays with the ball, that want to attack, that wants to play on the front foot. But then every time we see Canada matched up against a team like Belgium or a team like Uruguay even, Japan, we're like, yeah, there's no way Canada is going to be able to to play with the ball. Their game plan is going to have to be what we've seen so often from other teams around the world, which is bunker down and play low block and be tough to beat. But no, this Canadian men's national team went out impressed from the top i mean starting with jonathan david up top who sets the tone and then you have everyone else kind of shuttling in behind him and as the i'm with you like through first five minutes i'm still nervous although we started really positively i'm like all right belgium's gonna find a way to grow into this game but they never did they never truly grew into that match and if anything as the first half wore on canada grew stronger and I'll give another shout out to this this Canada team because I got a little bit concerned when they did concede. First off, that shouldn't have been a goal that they conceded. I think it was far too easy. We've seen it happen far too often.
2: Switched off for but a
0: sec. Yeah, just one second, right? Makes you pay. But the response from the Canadian men's national team after that goal further like reignited my belief in this team. And I think reignited their belief in themselves. And it just goes to show that, you know, they've been hit with a lot of things along the way, this whole World Cup qualifying journey, but they never get wavered, right? They never get phased. They never waver. And that was just another example of exactly that. So a lot of positives, I think more positives than negatives to take away from this game. But if we're going to be talking like a football nation, like a team that actually belongs here, They left points on the table, and that could come back to bite you when you're actually legitimately now trying to qualify past the group stage because, like I said, the goals have shifted this World Cup. At first, I'm happy to be here, part of the group stage, but now I want to find a way to get out of this group stage because I truly believe that the men's national team can.
1: No, they definitely dropped points yesterday. Um, I think me and Mike were talking at halftime that we were like, okay, We know that Belgium is going to come out. They're going to change their game plan. It's going to be a totally different, you know, second half. Canada's really going to have to be ready for it. And that's not what we saw. We saw basically the way it left off of the the first half, where Canada was a dominant team. Our biggest problem, and I think you know, on other shows or anytime we've spoken, we said Canada has to be clinical in the final third. This is not the the conca gap minnows the, these are the elite of the elite and you're not gonna i mean surprisingly we had a lot of chances yesterday but that's not going to be the norm and when you do get your chances you have to finish right yeah so you know like i'm not you know there's there's no point in being critical on the team because they exceeded our expectation from start to finish yesterday but in order for us to if we are if they are going to get out of the, this group stage they got to be clinical in the
2: final third. Yeah, I think there's, you know, uh, it's hard to sort of pick at the small things in this match because they were so good in so many different ways. But obviously, there's probably two points um, from the performance that you sort of have to look at. One is the penalty uh, decision for for Alfonso Davies to take it, and mm-hmm. I'm reconciling myself on this because. And Sean, you were with me, so you can contest to this. I, I was not a fan of Alfonso Davies taking the ball, um, and and I thought, you know, a lot of people in the room thought Jonathan David should be taking it. And, and look, it, you you uh, you understand why in that moment Jonathan, or sorry, um, Alfonso Davies takes the ball, right? There's, I think, someone else that uh, it could have been Christian Jack, could have been somebody else. Like, I, I'm not 100. I can't remember, but how many times in big matches at the world cup has the big player not taken the penalty and it gets missed. And then everybody in the country is like, why didn't player X the star, the face of the hindsight's the team. 2020. Well, exactly. Right. So from that perspective, I'm fine now with Alfonso Davies taking that it takes big ones, right. To, to, to be the guy. To say, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this on the responsibility of trying to put this in and getting Canada's first ever World Cup goal. It doesn't work out. It's a bad penalty, right? It, it, we can't mask that. It's a poorly taken penalty. Thibaut Courtois barely had to work to save it. Um, but I, I still am. I'm half and half on it, right? Because, like, yeah. I get it. I'm fine. I'm, I'm, re- I'm fine with, you know, arguably your best player taking the penalty on the other hand I'm like we know Alfonso Davies is not exactly a penalty taker there's other players on this team that could take it for me what a lot of
0: people are kind of overlooking here it's a branding opportunity as well right I don't know if I'm diving way too deep into this but think about the context of it Canada's first ever opportunity to score a FIFA men's world cup goal. Who's going to be the one to put that in the back of the net? You want it to be the face of this men's national team, right? Of course that's Alfonso Davies. Alfonso Davies wants it to be the face of the men's national team. We've seen Alfonso Davies at times, uh, Almost try to do it himself a little bit too try much. Try to do it
2: in the second half of this game at times.
0: For sure. And, you know, he really takes it upon himself to to really be the face of this team. I think this was another example of that, where the right decision, and again, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, I thought about it while he was stepping up to take the kick, but the right decision might have been to hand the ball to Jonathan David or another name. I don't think enough people are talking about junior Hoylet, another guy who could have maybe done a serviceable job there. At, at taking a penalty penalty kick. So yeah, it, you know, day after he missed it, we can talk about what could have been at the end of the day, a penalty. You, you put that in the back of the net, no matter who you are more times than not. And, it, it's a, it's heartbreaking to see that Canada couldn't take advantage of, of their opportunity there. It's a missed opportunity.
1: It's a learning experience. They have to learn from this. You know, he'll learn. Um, you know, I think the positive I will take from that is that it wasn't a letdown after that. You didn't see them hold their heads down and be like, that was our chance. They, yeah. they still fought. And that you have to take that as a positive that, you know what? You know, Alfonso didn't let this get to him. The squad didn't let it bring them down. They fought hard. You know, it just one defensive lapse, and we could be talking at minimum of a draw
2: yesterday. Right, and and let's talk. Yeah, let's talk about those little things there as well, in in terms of the goal itself that was conceded. Um, You know, kind of off a uh, not a set piece. It was just a restart. But it's those, in and we said it yesterday, a lot of people said it, it's the difference between like really good teams uh, and world-class teams. And for all that Belgium struggled with yesterday, world-class teams don't necessarily always have to be playing at their best to find results. And this is a moment where a world-class team just found a little moment, play that ball over the top, which Canada, the backline has struggled with, leading up to the world cup, right? We, we saw it. Uh, we saw it against Uruguay. We saw it against, uh, I believe Bahrain, like we saw it, uh, three straight
0: games. Yeah. Where they got beat over the top. Japan as
2: well. Exactly. Against Japan. And I think it was, I think each time it was in the channel that Kamal Miller is in. Um, and, and, uh, it's just that little switch off for half a second, but White gets the step. Uh, and, you know, it sits very nicely in the half volley and he doesn't need a second opportunity, right? It's just half volley it's in. And and that's, and that, that small little piece is the difference between getting a result and not getting a result.
0: That. And as Sean pointed out earlier, the fact Canada couldn't finish their chances, right? It's both, both sides to it. And, you know, that's why I've been, I've been beating this drum. I, I, I don't believe he's the best defender on Canada, but I believe he's Canada's most important defender, and of course, I'm talking about Kamal Miller. I think during that match against the uh, against Belgium, we saw the highs. A lot of times, we saw the highs of Kamal Miller, but then, of course, the goal we saw, we saw one of the lows, and there was also another couple opportunities during the course of that game where if Kevin De Bruyne gets his head up and makes the right pass. Belgium have a wide open breakaway, I think, on two different occasions. Yeah. Uh, so there were other missed opportunities by Belgium. However, once again, a ball over the top, too easy, uh, ends up burning Canada. So, yeah, it's it's obviously something I'm sure the team is aware of and they'll be working on. I just hope uh, it doesn't become a more of a recurring issue than it already is.
2: Yeah, and that's kind of, it's kind of odd because I do have Kamal Miller as man of the match. I think he was voted man of the match by Canada Soccer. But, you know, uh, I thought aside from that, he played really well um, and and Mm -hmm. really sort of, to your point, was sort of the most important defender on the day especially because I don't think Alistair Johnson had himself the best day. Of course, he has taken on Eden Hazard. So, you know, Eden Hazard has made some of the best defenders in the world in the past yeah. that look really bad. So, you know, you kind of give out a little bit of a pass there. But, um, I mean, Kamal, I think, was everywhere. He's made a couple of uh, really important interceptions and tackles that, again, like you said, could have broken Belgium free uh, in attack um and and i think going forward with this national team it'll be interesting how they adjust for croatia but he's still going to be maybe one of the most important pieces on this team uh sean go ahead
1: yeah um i thought Alistair actually had like outside of his bad passing he had a decent game when it came to defending Eden Hazard. i don't think it, uh, hazard really was a threat at all throughout uh, the, his time on the pitch I just felt Alistair John, his passing was just like he was just giving the ball away in in, in in positions where we're lucky. Belgium didn't capitalize on it. Like I remember one early in the first half, like it was just outside the 18. He literally mm-hmm. just gave it right to them. Yeah, and that's what I was more like for me defensively. He, I think he actually did a good game, but I felt when it came to his you know his passing, he was just he was all over the place yesterday.
0: Yeah, it was one of those rare games, I think, from Alistair Johnson because he's been so consistent. Uh, but as, as Mike, you rightfully pointed out, it's it's Eden Hazard. And when he's gets going, he obviously still has it, even though he hasn't really been in great great form the last couple of years. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you, Sean. I think he actually did a, a pretty decent job. There was one time he clearly got beat for pace, uh, got caught stretching a little bit, and Hazard blew right by him. And Hazard's so good at this at just keeping possession and luring defenders into making some, I don't want to call it silly challenges because it's not silly, but making challenges that are fouls and winning some tactical fouls, I guess let's call it at certain parts of the pitch to give his team a chance to reset. Uh, and I think we saw that a number of times that Johnson did bit bite, but he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't terrible for me uh, by any means. I actually. Would give my man of the mount match shout to Richie Larea. I Fair. thought Richie was a menace for this men's national team uh, on both sides of the ball, up and down the pitch. Uh, obviously, there was that highlight that's going around and one that we all witnessed of him making that last ditch challenge, which was incredible and one of the the bright spots of the match for me that got me super fired up, and especially Richie's reaction. You. Absolutely love seeing that. And there was times where he got in what Axel Witzel's face, oh yeah, a little bit too. And you know that was that was Richie Lorette as best. And moving forward, he was he was great. He was a threat. There was times where he made the wrong decision, maybe took a, a shot on that he probably could have made an extra pass. I think we saw that on a couple of times. But at the end of the day, he was still driving at defenders and creating opportunities for Canada in a way that we've been so accustomed to seeing Richie Larea do over the years uh, not only for Toronto FC but it just seems every time this guy puts on a Canada shirt and I actually think he could have had a goal if Jonathan David in the first half instead of trying to take on a shot that's laid to him in the middle of the box if he gets his head up and makes one extra pass Richie Larea is wide open and could have slotted home a goal for Canada and who would have had Richie Larea Scoring first for
1: Canada. The we should have looked at World those Cup odds goal. on
2: sports interaction. <laughs> should have looked at those odds. Yeah, because
1: I know we're talking about that, and he, his name did not come up in anyone's oh, conversation. You
2: no, know, it did not. It did not. Surprised you even didn't see even, him start. Well, that's the he thing, started. right? I was that, about to say. I don't think a lot of people even had him starting. Um I mean, And, and not
1: over Akube.
2: No, I think yeah. that was a surprise for a lot of people. Because, but that was the way you're kind of fitting. Uh, Junior Hoylet in there and, you know, trying to get Tejan Buchanan at the same time, right? Like you're going to have to sacrifice somebody. Uh, and in this case, it was Sam Adekube. Um I don't think that's going to be the case for Croatia. I think he'll be back in there. Um, and you'll probably see of revert to what we are kind of more used to uh, in terms of lineup. But again, I don't think Junior Hoylet had a bad game uh yesterday and it's it, he's on really great form and i guess the question is can you afford to drop junior oil at this point
1: well that that's question like all right we know what sam brings to the table especially defensively but who who are you taking off from yesterday
0: it's kyle laren right kyle laren would be the yeah. guy who comes out of the lineup for but kyle didn't start yesterday no no but what i mean is it's richie or sam I think it's not necessarily Sam or Junior, and but you're right. You could also have that flexibility. You push Fonzie further up the pitch and and release Sam, and maybe that is what we need. But I think what, what Junior Hollett brings that's so important to this team and a really frustrating part of, of yesterday's games was Canada's set-piece deliveries. Mm. Estacchio on a number of occasions, put the ball way too long. And it didn't even give Canada a competitive shot at making a, a header, a play on the ball. Right, Junior Hoylet, as we saw against Japan, is money at swinging in balls into the box. And I thought we actually missed that as the game wore on. When he uh, when he got substituted off for me, he's he's a player you gotta you gotta find a way to keep him on the pitch. But at the same time, I'm going back and forth on this because I'm like, you know. Canada did a really good job of keeping the ball and creating chances. If only they had one extra guy up top, maybe they could have found a way to find the back of the net. And of course I'm talking about Kyle Lahrens. So, yeah, it's gonna be another interesting dilemma for John Herman, but hey, it's it's actually it's a good problem to have like well, we're debating the, who should be starting, right? Well,
2: that's what I'm saying. As I said in the last show, what a world we live in where this is a, the the debates is oh, we've got two really great strikers we gotta find and a really great, you know, right sided couldn't play left, can be a number 10 midfielder. We're trying to figure out how to fit him in, and maybe we have to sub out, you know, per, arguably the man <laughs> of the match from the previous game. Uh, what what a what a time for national team fans. A um, couple of sort of small things uh, from yesterday's game that I wanted to bring up. One of them being uh, the Estacillo Nutmeg on Kevin De Bruyne that is now circling the world right now. Um, I, and we saw it live, and there was an audible uh, yeah. moment. I think there, it, it, like it looked like an NBA game in Darby House when that happened. Like everybody was getting up and and uh, and making some noise on that one. Um, but yeah, I, I mean. What a way to get your name out there, right? Not big Kevin De Bruyne and, and get on all the highlight reels, right? I celebrated oh. that like it was a goal. Yeah, go
1: ahead, <laughs> a lot You, you can men. almost say, like, Destacchio outplayed Kevin De Bruyne yesterday. Like, I mean, again. Hey, man of the, the match, the result, De Bruyne, man. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even he had to be like, how are you guys giving me this? Like yeah, he he's has like, even, uh, he's like, it's hey, of my like, name. did you just but... watch the game? I just played. Yeah. No, to your
0: point, Sean, though, if you look at the stats from the first half, there was like in the 40th minute, he had nine touches on the ball. I think he finished the first half with 16 touches. Canada did an excellent job of shutting down, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, and I think Kostakia was great at that, but also i got to give some love to Atiba Hutchinson. Yep. Mm-hmm. What a performance Atiba Hutchinson put in. and he, He's at his best when you actually... It's a cliche in hockey for a defenseman, but Atiba's at his best when you don't notice him as much. He's doing all the little things right, and one of those little things that he did very quietly was at times shadow Kevin De Bruyne in, in the heart of the midfield, and I thought he was fantastic for a guy who's played 180 minutes of football over the last like 6 months just not to mention he's 39 years old like what an incredible incredible
2: player in performance yeah that's Empowering. the power yeah, well, I mean, look, the power of the ancestors were with him yesterday because he, again, like he looked amazing. And like, look, I, I i don't know why we're sort of sitting here in awe of him. Like we know what he is and we know how great he is. We should not be shocked that he would step into captain the national team in the first World Cup games since 1986 for his country and just boss a midfield. And that was a thing. Like he was so good at winning second balls. Um, and that's part of the reason why we were so good yesterday in possession is because, you know, those 50-50s, those second balls, we were winning all the second balls. And that, I, again, can you keep that up against Croatia? That will be uh, obviously a question. But, uh, again, you're right. Uh, Tebow was, I mean, that whole midfield. I mean, they, they won the midfield battle against yep. Axel Witzel, Yuri Tielemans, and Kevin De Bruyne. Like, that's that's impressive. You 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 know, you got to you got to tip your hat there.
0: And that's why I feel really confident actually heading into this match against Croatia because Croatia is similar type of team, right? Where their strongest players are in the middle of the park for that team. And if Canada find a way to play the way that they did against Belgium, I'm more confident that Canada can actually look better against Croatia than they did against Belgium. I just, I feel like, they match up better, especially when you when you looked at the Croatia Morocco game. Croatia were not the better team on the park against Morocco, and I I don't know. I I'm feeling maybe it's maybe it's ignorant of me, but I'm feeling really optimistic heading into heading into Sunday's match against Croatia.
1: I was real optimistic yesterday, but um, I I will say this: I think Croatia has a better overall midfield than. Like when you look at the three versus Belgium, I don't know. Even though De Bruyne might be the best individual midfielder, but I think when you're looking at as a as a as a unit, I am worried about about that team. Now, they didn't look good against Morocco. I give that I'll give you that, you know. And it could be a variety of things. You know, their legs; they weren't ready for it. First game, the heat. There could be many factors. I'm sure they'll be a lot more prepared for, for Canada's game, especially after watching the Belgium game. So I, I think we're going to have a tough, tough midfield battle. But, you know, if we play anywhere near as good or even if we are able to raise our game as John Hurden is asking other players to raise it that much more, anything's possible.
2: Anything is possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's get into this too. Speaking of John Herdman and, and getting his team ready for Croatia. Uh the F Croatia uh, statement that he made both in the huddle and to the media afterwards. Um, are you feeling that as a as I mean, are we making too much of a, a deal out of it? Um, because it seems to be everywhere right now. Um and, and I guess I, I get it, but I just wonder. You know, are are we making too much of it? Or are you all on board with it? Are you like, yes, that's the, you know, go ahead and fire the boys up like that.
1: I, okay. I have not, there's absolutely nothing wrong with him firing up the boys, but the public does not need to know certain conversations you have when you're with the group. And that's because it gets blown out to be something bigger than it's not because coaches will, I mean, coaches do all kinds of things to motivate their players, knowing the type of of squad that he has in front of them, so he knows that they they thrive off of that kind of motivation, those kind of um, pep talks that he does after games. They're all you see, not just him. You see, we've seen on do it, so we know that team has that kind of they they all they're all there for each other. So he knows what to say to get them listening, get them focused. But I just don't think it's he should have turned around and repeated it after to the media, word for word, of what he said to the players. <laughs>
0: it's the day of the internet the age of the internet right it's just one of those things that could if it goes wrong for whatever reason could come back to bite you really badly with all the potential for memes and everything like that that could be made but honestly i i loved it i loved it because you know what and this is no no disrespect but screw croatia who cares what Croatia has to think? Who cares what Croatian fans have to has to think? John Herman, what he's doing there, he's not talking to Croatians. He's talking to Canadians. He's talking to Canada back home. And that's the thing you want to hear from your manager. You don't want to hear him rolling over and being like, oh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a tough match. I don't know what's gonna happen. No, like this is new Canada. Canada, a team that wants to play on its front foot, that wants to go after teams, that wants to compete with teams, a team that believes. And I like the swagger and the confidence from John Herman. And I hope, I hope it doesn't come back to bite him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing, right? Like, we don't need that to wake up Modric and the crew, okay?
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, look. Don't poke the bear, right? Yeah, don't poke the bear. But at the same time, you're going to have to go in the cage with the bear, whether you poke it or not, right? Like, I I kind of agree with you, Mike, in that sense. I mean, look, there is also the John Herman sometimes is feeling himself. You know, like he he's admitted this in interviews before, like John Herbin likes the spotlight. John Herbin likes to, you know, have a quote and get in there. Right. And, and, and that's not this. And I'm not saying that necessarily as a bad thing. Right. Like, I think that, you know, he took a moment, as you said, to talk to his team, to talk to Canadians, to be like, listen, we just came out here in 90 minutes. And yes, we lost this game. But look how good we were. Now imagine if we can do that again against Croatia, a team that we think we can actually beat, right? Like that's that's kind of the message there. Look, poster, you know, white whiteboard stuff and are they going to put it on a wall? Probably, sure, why not? Um, but I, look, you know what they're also going to put on the board? The, all the stats from that game that said Canada dominated the ball and pressed amazingly and had a high XG. And, you know, aside from a moment of, falling asleep on a, on a restart, arguably should have won that game. Um, so, you know, if they have that plus all that on a whiteboard, I'm fine with that. Like, you know what I mean? Like let's bring on Sunday, uh, and let's see how these boys do against Croatia. Of course it could go back and bite you in the ass, right? Like, you know, they, they could be talking about that for a while in fair play if, if they beat us and they do, uh, but you know what, bring it. You know, like that that's what the World Cup is, right? And then that's exactly. what that you want to jump. You know, the bar set, now jump and get it, right? And then that's what Canada is trying to do. So that's what I, I really like. So uh, quickly, just, uh, you know, a quick preview of the game. Obviously, we talked a little bit about Croatia against Morocco and a nil-nil draw. Heat of the day. So that was, I believe, first game of the day, right? So, it, like, obviously, those first games of the day are, are seeming to be um, a little more... I don't know if KG is the right word, but I mean, th- it might be an opportunity for Canada, right, to, to step in in the heat um, during the day and maybe see if, if this is something that really impacts Croatia. I don't know if that was the case. I mean, part of it, I think, was also the fact that that stadium was a, a basically a Moroccan home game. Um, in a lot of ways, I think Morocco might end up being the hardest game that we end up playing for that reason. But uh, I just wonder what you think. Canada's chances are given the new kickoff time and, and potentially, uh, you know, coming in with a a Croatian team who knows they got to win this match.
0: Well, Canada are going to be big underdogs, right? I I think that's the expectation heading into it. But like I said, man, like I, I do feel more optimistic about these teams chances after witnessing, uh, yesterday's game against Belgium now heading into Sunday because, well, Croatia, like I said, didn't look impressive against Morocco. They looked like the second best team on the, on the pitch that day for whatever reason. Um, and Canada looked like the better team against Belgium, who's supposed to be the best team in this group. So the way that I'm looking at it, I'm looking at this honestly more... like I think Croatia is more beatable for Canada just based on play style than Morocco is actually. And that's just how impressed I was about Morocco. Um, because they they looked like a serious threat in this, in this group, and it could be a dark horse in this group to actually advance out of it. Um, one thing, and I saw Christian Jack actually mention this, so shout out KJ, not enough people are talking about the fact that Belgium and Morocco play first. And if Morocco beats Belgium, Canada have to, I believe, win to keep their World Cup hopes alive of advancing. So if that does happen and Morocco does pull off the upset, the pressure's on Canada to ensure that they pick up, I believe a point or maybe three points, uh, but pick up something in the game against Croatia. So that'll be one to watch and the stakes could be raised heading into that one.
1: Yeah, I think it's, uh, I won't say I'm worried um, because, you know, they proved me yesterday that, that they're ready for this. Right. Um But I I just think it's going to be a different type of competition than than Belgium. And I think, you know, Belgium didn't really know what to expect out of Canada. The video or the tape they would have had would have been very minimal. Croatia would have watched this game, and they'll be a lot more prepared for, you know, Canada's press. Um, They'll look at ways that, you know, they'll look at the goal and see like, all right, if we can, you know, catch their defense laps laps or sleeping that's an easy potential goal. So I think, you know, John Herdman's gonna have to get the guys ready, mentally and physically, you know, hopefully, you know, rest up any little knocks they got in the first game, but they're really gonna have to, I think, because of the time as well, they're gonna have to be ready for a grind it out, win at all costs type of game.
2: Yeah, that's kind of how I feel too. I think this is gonna be much more of a grind um, because you're gonna have a desperate Croatia who need points. Um, and feel like they're going to need a win uh, to really put themselves in a good position when they go into their third game against Belgium. So um, I, I think it'll be a bit more of a grinded out kind of game. Um, and, and again, I think it's going to come down to can Canada finish their chances when they get them because they may be a little bit less than there were against Belgium. And they're going to have to be a little bit more clinical in their in their, finish, in their finishing. And I wonder if John Herman's going to keep that in mind and maybe think about Kyle Laren. Um, starting with Jonathan David and see if they can partner again, kind of like they did in Hamilton against the U S um, we'll see again. It, it would be hard because at, at that point you're looking at maybe dropping junior Hoylet, but that might be something John Herdman has in the back of his mind uh, going uh, forward to start that match. Um, but let's put Canada aside uh, and let's talk about the rest of the world cup uh, because there are, you know, 31 other teams playing Um how are you liking this World Cup so far? We're now through the first round of games. The second round for each group is starting tomorrow. But how are you finding this World Cup? And and, I'm, and let's put politics aside for a second. Let's talk about the football. How are you finding this World Cup? Are you enjoying the games or are you finding them, some of them, a lot of them, to be dragging a bit? Well, to that
0: point, I guess I'll start by saying there's four nil-no games, and that's the first time in years, or if not ever, that that has happened through the group stage of of a FIFA World Cup. Um, In 2018, through the whole group stage, there was just one scoreless draw, or even the whole tournament, there was just one scoreless draw. Yeah. So that could be uh, partially why some people may be feeling a uh, dragging a bit, little bit. Me personally, I've loved the football. I've loved the games. I've loved the storylines, the narratives behind each and every one of these teams. And maybe that's just because I've taken such a such a deep dive into into each team and each each game just leading up to this World Cup. Um, and I, I do believe that you know while. Playing the World Cup midseason, and I said midseason based on not MLS, TFC, but the rest of the world, obviously, has its downsides like injuries. We're missing quite a few notable stars. I also think it has its upsides uh, in terms of when you look at a lot of the underdogs in the World Cup so far, they've risen their game. And I think part of that is because a lot of these guys are in season and in form and the gap is closer uh from i mean aside from costa rica spain really the gap gap is closer between uh let's use today as an example a serbia and brazil that it maybe a lot of people would have expected and for me when when the games are closer like that that makes for a lot more entertaining games
1: um for the most part i've enjoyed most of the games there have been some games that yeah. have whether we dragged on or just, I just couldn't really be that engaged in it. Um But I'm kind of liking the fact that you're getting. I like. I'm liking the upset. Like, you know, whether or not I'm picking these teams to win, like Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, Argentina, it's still, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, the. I'm enjoying that storyline. Seeing seeing the minnow knock off the big boy. You know, and we probably wouldn't get this in a regular World Cup that is held during the summertime, but, and maybe, you know, the climate has something to do with that, you know, playing it in, in, in weather conditions that isn't normally played in either. Um, but I'm kind of enjoying that part that, you know what, you never know what you're going to get out of any match. You could, On paper, this team might be the favorite, but so far, you got to throw that out of, out of the water, just go with it.
2: Yeah, in a lot of ways, the form book or the historical form book for World Cups hasn't mattered too much in this particular World Cup so far. I mean, obvious the obvious exceptions here being England over Iran, six-two, Spain just, I mean, demolishing Costa Rica. I saw that
0: coming, though. To be fair, well, I think a lot of people did. did. Yeah, like, sorry, but Costa Rica. No, I,
2: I don't think me. you're wrong. Actually, I, I really don't think. I, I think Costa Rica is very lucky to be here. I, I think they got a favorable playoff draw, and that's why they're I agree. here. Um, you know, and, and then you, you, you got a couple of games where five goals were scored, uh, for, for teams. So you, it's this interesting dichotomy of close games with, with a couple of upsets or close to upsets. And then these blowouts, right. Um, where just teams just go in and absolutely run their other teams. And then you have this sort of middle section of the nil, nil draws for sure. But then you get something like a Japan, Germany, right. Where such a good ups- upset upset. Kind of, right? Like, it's an upset, but you can kind of see, one, we know Japan is good. They constantly make the World Cup and are usually competitive in those, at least through the group stages of World Cups. Uh, yeah, I and, saw people
0: compare but them to Real brain. well
1: against, no, you can't, and that, that's disrespect to Japan. Yeah. First yeah. of all, yeah. what, isn't it like nine out of, at least nine of, the, of their roster play in Germany? So yeah. they're actually a well, like going at Germany, they probably match up well with the, style of play that their players actually are used to. Um, that's to a good compete point. against a, a team like Germany. So um yeah you cannot and 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 I'm not gonna disrespect Saudi Arabia but congratulations. They earned that win. But they're not on the Japan's disrespect a, a, a bro disrespect. Higher, <laughs> Japan's right. a much higher higher ranked team. And we've seen them they've been here before. They it's not a first time.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And I and I think that's where that's what I'm interested in this world cup is those sort of these, like you said, Mike, some of these narratives are around uh, some of these teams where I think there's this presumption that because there are traditional powers in this game, there should be fairly easy results or the results should go their way. And what we're finding in a lot of these games is that these teams are really having to fight for their results and really having to, tactically manage the games probably a little bit more as if they're playing a round of 16 game than the first game uh, within your group of a World Cup. Obviously, yes, you have those blowouts, but I think in the second round of games, even like Qatar, like I expect actually tomorrow Qatar to be a little bit more competitive than they were against Ecuador, um, and and, okay. and that will be interesting to see. So you I know, hope then, so. I mean, I hope so too, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, not not just just not just because obviously I want to see a more competitive game, but I just think they, I think tactically and just emotionally, I think they'll just be a lot more settled because they got that first game out of the way. They have to open up the World Cup, you know. Now that's out of the way, they can just sort of focus on themselves and and get them sorted. So it'll be interesting to see this the rest of this World Cup. But I'm kind of the same as Sean. Like some games, I'm just not engaged. Like I'm just mm-hmm. not.
0: I um, mean, you weren't up at 5 a.m. for Switzerland, Cameroon.
2: I was not. Uh I was up at 6 <laughs> 30. I was uh six thirty oh, watching I, at uh I, I, you know in the 74th minute. Hey, there's
1: there's the you're not feeling well, you don't really sleep. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's TV. why you're not feeling so great. Just gonna put that out there, you know? Uh um, I will no, the game. yeah, fair enough. It. But like, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, but the the storyline of Bril and Bolo scoring a goal against his birth nation and not celebrating, love right? That. Like, like the, the, that stuff is going to be really interesting uh, through this workout because there's going to be a few of those. Uh, we haven't even wrap,
0: talked right? about the Richarlison goal yet. I know,
2: I know. um but Let's talk about it. Let's talk about, oh, it, about it because I again, get... you, you went there. Let's go there now. I mean, Sean's, he didn't mean that.
1: He
0: did not Sean's mean that. actually says it all. Sean, of go course, take
2: it
1: away. He had to mean it. Did you not see he the flick? mean that. That, that flick was like, I'm gonna do this. I'm a badass. And it was a badass finish. No. I don't even I, care
0: I, if he I don't care if he meant to or not. It looks so smooth, so clean. Did. I've oh, watched that replay <laughs> 20. Fake times it till you make already. it. Fake it till you make best it. Best goal okay. of the tournament so far, and it yeah. could be go down as the best goal of the tournament at the end of this. It will be top three. Hard one to top. Hard yeah, to
1: top. Yeah, very much,
2: very much. I mean, I think he meant to flick it. I just don't think he meant it to go as high as it did. And but it just sort of worked out. Right, like the shoulder, like a
0: the turn,
2: oh, like, oh, Um so everything... it just Everything worked out. I don't think that was it, intentional.
1: It looks so good on slow
2: mo, but like, it when did they look really it down, and you see
1: everything, you're just like, Oh, a hundred
2: percent. And it's like,
1: it was, he hit it perfectly, it went to the like, no one was stopping that. Like, you see, oh, yeah. even the defender as he's like, I'm gonna try and block it, but I'm turning my head to just kind of let it go by, like, because it was power, it was pace, it was a beautiful. Scissor kick. Yeah, and you three, know
0: what I'm uh, gonna sir. So go ahead, Mike. No, three nicest goals so far at the, the tournament. Obviously, Richarlison one. The second one has to be the Saudi Arabia go ahead goal. Yeah, like that yeah. whole play, and then the obviously the shot was yeah exquisite. Yeah, absolutely. And the third, I'm going back and I'll, I'll say four. The third, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Gavi, his volley mm, in yesterday's seven nil win. Yeah, outside of the foot. In fact, he's eighteen. Uh, the just the goal itself, take nothing away from it. Just the fact that he's 18 it was, was clean. And then the fourth was Japan's actually go ahead goal where he brought that down his, his first touch and his finished short side over Neuer. I thought that was a thing of beauty as well. I think those were the four nicest goals. I'm not sure if I'm missing one if you guys want to throw uh, one out I'm going to throw
2: one more in there and I this is going to be super unpopular, but I actually as a goal technically, the Bachoui goal was really good. Just off the okay, half ball. Okay. Next, clean Sean, 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 Sean. That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's
1: the audacity. I'm going to go with um, I actually like um size foot goal that he scored um oh yeah
0: cross. i mm-hmm.
1: can't believe that was a nice you know like if you actually when they when you break it down and you see how he just turned his foot perfectly just to, far down it, yeah so that i think mine's a little nicer Mike. Right? i'll go
2: with that one fair <laughs> enough fair enough i'll also take from that game uh sterling's goal as well and mainly because the, the service from harry he didn't get on in. the
0: score sheet but he had a heck of a game for, i know for England.
1: Well, i mean it's sad that like in my opinion, England didn't even play that great and they dominated that game.
2: I think they had yeah. a lot more to do with Iran, but... Yeah. Fair yeah, enough, fair enough. That's, that's,
0: a, that's a thing, right? There's a lot more to that's weighing on those players' shoulders. That guy sure. a, Iran's a way better team than they showed that game, and I think... I don't know. We'll see. I think it's going to be a good test. England-USA, I believe that match is tomorrow at 2 p.m. It is. It's the last game. It's the 2 o'clock England-USA, game. Um, usa that's, that's going to be, be
2: tasty. A great Tasty game. game. Um, so let's let's talk about it, gents. um obviously we're all supporting Canada, so that's a foregone conclusion despite my picking Mac- Mitchy batchewise goal as a really nice goal. Um, but who else outside of this tournament are you really interested in sort of following their narrative or their story? Um, Mike, I'll start with you.
0: Uh, for me, it's Portugal. Uh, mm. Portugal is such an interesting team for me to watch. Uh, Obviously, you have all the Ronaldo stuff, right? His interview and everything like that. Now he's a free agent. He's literally playing for his future career here. And I think that alone is is such an interesting narrative. But at the same time, when you look at this Portugal team, in my opinion, they're the best Portuguese team that Cristiano Ronaldo has ever had around him. Like if you go through each player individually, they are extremely, extremely talented and to see it all sort of come together in pieces today, like a Bruto Fernandez making a couple of great passes, Joe Felix finishing off the, the pass, Rafael Leao coming off from off the bench to make an impact. Uh, they're going to be one of the teams I'm keeping a close eye on uh, as a potential team that could go on a serious run. If they, if they grow as this tournament goes on, I think offensively they're fantastic. But question marks obviously at the back and if they can in the same way Canada conceded by switching off for one moment, if Portugal's prone to that. So if they can stay out of that, I I, I think they could be a, a serious threat. Um Access of saying here in the chat, Argentina, the win for Lionel Messi. Obviously that's that's a dream. Ronaldo Messi final, any footballer fan who has watched the, the, the sport the last twenty five years. That's the poetic final, but Sean, what do you have? Ultimate,
1: funny enough, for the ultimate final, I have you know Argentina is gonna gonna get their act together. Um, like they were my pick going into this as you know, if I have to pick a team outside of Canada, I'm gonna go with Argentina. I just know yeah. they looked going into this tournament like they actually finally figured out how to play, you know, how to win a trophy. You know, it's been a long time since they've they've been on top they've had to be in brazil shadows for a long since they last won a world cup right and then they finally beat them within, was the copas last year Yeah. and i think that was finally the you know for messi that was a big win and i think a big weight off his shoulder for him to go into the world cup year with the confidence that they needed first game didn't go go as planned but i think that might be that might be a, a blessing in disguise having that that you know having an ups, A major upset. Now you, you can't afford a wake-up it. wake-up call, right? Yeah. It's the best kind of wake-up. Like, you get it right off the bat. Now it's like, all right, guys. You know, like, one more. We shit the bed again, it's over. So but Here's, here's think, a
0: stat for you. Only one team in FIFA World Cup history has lost its opening match and gone on to win the World Cup. That team? Spain that. 2010. Yeah, Spain. Actually, Spain 2010. And so, we remember that that tournament but yeah go ahead
1: it, i mean all it takes is you know they they win their second game everything's changed you can if they can build off that momentum and you know make it off into the the next round anything can happen but um i think if they can again you know let this game go forget about the the loss and just move forward and get and play to the their ability and the, the skill and the talent they have it could be a portugal you know i I don't think Portugal's for how well they're playing, how the moments they look real good today. I just don't think as a whole, they're, they're, they're strong enough to win it all. For sure.
2: The question for sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. How about you, Think? Um, yeah. Mine is, is going to be for probably different reasons in both of yours. I'm watching Mexico. And the reason I'm watching Mexico is not to see how far they go with this tournament. I'm well, partly that, but I'm also, I'm watching it for the train wreck that they could potentially be. Now I know they got they got a nil draw, they got a point against Poland, but it's not so much a train wreck now, it's the after the World Cup. This is an old team that they have, um a, a roster that um that's been selected by Tata Martino. I this is probably going to be his final run with Mexico. I can't see him staying on after the World Cup um as manager. And it could be a signal of change within CONCACAF in terms of the the power dynamics within CONCACAF, obviously canada's performance we've talked a lot about on this show i think you know we're not talking enough about the us's performance against wales i at least in the first half i know the second half didn't go but i think there's more to like than not like with the us team so now the question is where does mexico fit in all of this and what does the next generation of Mexico look like? We don't know because we haven't seen a lot of the new generation of Mexican footballers come through the senior team because time and time again, in qualifiers, and gold cups, it's the old guys that show up, um, you know, and and I, I'm going to be interested to see how that works out. They could, I, I mean, I would, if they get to the round of 16, I wouldn't be surprised to get to the round of 16 every time. Um, yeah. But uh, I think this could be a, a, maybe a signaling of the change in terms of the top sort of three, four power dynamic. Within that's a great, that's so a great point. So that's the team I'm watching to see how this goes. Because if they don't get out of the group, I think that's a, it'll be the first time they haven't gotten out of the group since... I don't I, Do you think... Maybe 1990s? Sorry. Do you think regardless...
0: Of what happens in this FIFA World Cup, whether they make a deep run or not, that that's going to happen for Mexico? Like this, the change in the garbage is inevitably going to happen or does anything ha- that happens here change that fact?
2: No, I think they I think the changing of the guard is coming. It's just what does it look like? Right. Because I, I just I we don't know what. Again, as somebody who does not watch Liga Mekis, right? Like if there's somebody in the room here that watches Liga Mekis and, and says, okay, oh, there's like five kids they should be calling into the national team right now that are going to ball out like crazy, then let me know. But it, it, it feels Flores. like true. But again, he, <laughs> he hasn't played senior football yet. To call me when he plays senior football. You know, but like, you know, it, it, until that time, you know, they haven't called a lot of these kids into the national team. Again, it's been sort of the names we always expect Mexico to call. So, you know, coming into the Nations League and going into a Gold Cup, you know, what does this Mexico team look like going forward? And will that power dynamic now with new Canada, with a very young, very talented U.S. squad, um, you know, what does that kind of look like? That will be interesting to me. So that's the team I'm going to be kind of interested in their narrative throughout this World Cup. Um, But let's uh, move on from the World Cup, guys. And let's quickly get into uh, a little TFC corner here. I know we've said we're, we're into the world cup, but Hey, this is still a Toronto FC fan podcast. Um, so a couple of interesting things happened over the, the week with TFC. Obviously they picked up a goalkeeper uh, in the first round of the reallocation draft. Um, somebody, a goalkeeper that uh, Bob Bradley's worked with before um, most likely going to be trying to be a number two, uh, maybe even a number three. And, uh, But two interesting things in the sort of free agent market has come along. In stage two of the re-entry draft, Toronto FC selected an old favorite of ours, Victor Vasquez. Um, Now of, what, 35, 36 years old, Victor Vasquez? Yeah. Yeah. um, Was with LA Galaxy last year, reuniting with Greg Vanny. Now he's on his second reunion tour, potentially, with Toronto FC. Just wanted to get your guys' opinion and, and feelings on sort of this uh, move by uh, Bob Bradley and the brass TFC like is it something you're you're all on board on or are you kind of scratching your head a little bit? Well,
0: I love it there's there's a couple layers to this, right The first one is of course he's not signed by Toronto FC yet, right He's not a Toronto FC player and there is no risk to doing this. that's that's the biggest thing, right I'm not sure why this mechanism actually isn't used by more teams. We saw it in 2019 when Toronto FC traded in this re-entry draft stage two. They acquired Juan Agudelo as sort of this flyer take. If he signs a cheap contract with us, great. If not, we own his MLS rights. They didn't get a deal done with him, but they flipped him for an MLS super draft pick uh, to Inter-Miami. So it's free house money with little risk, little reward. Um, But then there's also the fact if he does sign, Great news for Toronto FC. I think Vax, Vasquez made about four hundred thousand last year. I don't expect him to be getting a raise this year, and he showed during his time with the Galaxy that he can still play an important role for an MLS team. And I, I mentioned this uh, on a hit I did with four four two. It's it's that when you need to get the best out of Insigne and Bernadeski, you need to surround them with quality. And what I mean by quality is not necessarily just good players. I think Mark anthony K is a really good player. But quality as in players who can see the game in the same way that these guys at higher levels can see the game. And there's not many people who have put on a TFC shirt or, in fact, have come to MLS that see the game like Victor Vasquez at the level that he sees the game. So I think if you put Vasquez into at times as starting 11, but even as a piece off the bench, that's a massive addition, a versatile addition that can play a number of different positions for your team. I think it makes sense for for a number of different reasons. And then obviously there's the the PR reason. You know, fans need a reason to get back excited about this club. It's been a little bit of a dull these last couple of months. It's obviously, Crescito retiring as well. That, that was not great for the club. It's a good way to get back fans back excited about the club without risking anything or making any future commitments. It's just quick splash post fans excited for the next day about Toronto FC and Victor Vasquez. Right. Absolutely. Sean,
2: what do you think?
1: Um, I mean, as long as it's not going to cost us much, I have no problem with it. Right. Like I just don't want us spending, you know, overpaying for what he has done in the past versus what he can bring to the table now. And that's not a knock on him, but, I mean, he is still 35. Um, and we know, you know, he's had enough wear and tear on that body over the years. So, again, if the price is right, I'm all for it. I think his his mind, what he brings, like, you can't, you can't teach that. You know, you're yeah. born with that kind of mindset in the game. And that's what makes someone at the age of 35 still – being able to play this game because he's, he might not have the physical um, skills that he once did, but mentally he's, he's far superior than most of the guys we have in our midfield.
0: Yeah. And I think the important thing to mention here is I, I see access talking about, they have to offer him, uh, offer him within seven days of picking him up in the allocation draft, which I believe was the 22nd. So they have a week to do that. Um, he's not, if you sign Victor Vasquez for the offer that you're going to make, you're not taking opportunities away from other players to add to the team. This to me seems like one of an addition you can make later on in the off season, but they're just going to get ahead of it and potentially try to do that. Now it's not like Vasquez is coming in to be a key midfielder for this team. He's going to be a very useful midfielder, but he's not necessarily going to
2: to start. Right. Yeah. It's death. Like that's I, what it is. I, yeah, and, and and I saw a lot of people getting really bent out of shape about it because you know of his age, obviously, and, and the idea of not looking back and and things like that. It's depth, right? He's not like you said. He's not taking away from anything you're trying to do in terms of the free agent market or you know getting other players in. In fact, I think he just helps you in terms of that recruiting aspect. And you know, it's been well documented. Victor Vasquez is good in a locker room, he's good around young players. You know, he makes p- players and people around him better. And why wouldn't you want more of those type of people in your organization? So to me, it's a no-brainer. Like, if you can bring him back and the numbers fine, and it sounds like it's going to be well manageable. Like it does not sound like it's going to be he's asking or would be asking for massive amounts of money um to play for the team, then yeah, of course, why wouldn't you want him around? Everybody was. Oh, devastated when he signed for the galaxy right like if you're devastated for the galaxy when he signed just a year and a bit ago why are you now upset when he wants to come back now like you know and <laughs> he wasn't that and he actually stayed relatively good. healthy with the galaxy yeah he was good he was good with was the was galaxy good. and yeah.
0: aaron's actually asking where would he play exactly well with the galaxy he played as part of the the, the central midfield Right. He played as a central midfield and he showed that he can have that little bit of an edge and grit to him to go back and win the ball back. He's not necessarily just like a Alejandro Pozuelo, not to you know rain on him too much, but to he's not he's a guy who can do decently defensively. And if you bring him on, you're down a goal in the 60th minute. That's a good option to look down your bench and see
2: Victor Vasquez <laughs>
0: yeah. sitting there. The guy
2: who scored the goal to win an MLS cup. Yeah, no, you, yeah, that's fine. You know, uh, I, I, again, and let's
1: real, we didn't have much of, of a midfield depth. That's
2: the big this, thing. This right? Year, right.
1: So guy, like I get it. Like I totally understand some fans perspective of worrying about like, why are we going to get like at 35? But if you're adding just a depth piece who is only going to, you know, he's, he will get the odd start because there, it could be based on matchup where you want for to use sure, with, will uh, in your starting 11. But that's not the purpose of signing him. It's for what he brings on and off the pitch.
2: 100%. Um, and, and speaking of other players and free agent moves that potentially could be coming or happening for Toronto FC, um, it was reported and shown and obviously on uh, the gram that Matt Hedges was in town. Uh, The free agent center back who has played uh, the majority of his career with FC Dallas uh, was in town at the Leafs game this uh, this week or maybe late last week um, uh, with his wife and uh, which looked like uh, Jack Dodd, who is the head of sort of TFC scouting and and uh, player recruitment. Um, I I heard some takes and uh, specifically from um, from David Goss. Um, on it's, uh, it's, foot, it's called football or the football podcast. Sorry. Um, mm-hmm. saying that this may not be sort of the, the, the best move for TFC in terms of what they may have to pay him, uh, considering what he might be asking for in free agency, just wondering from you guys, what do you think in terms of a potential Matt Hedges signing?
0: Well, he made 900,000 last year, right? That's less than Chris Mavinga made and if Dallas is declining his option and letting him go into free agency it's because they didn't want to pay him a figure that was around there right now Dallas doesn't necessarily have the same budget that Toronto FC has i think it's pretty different um but i believe he could he could i mean listen this team needs center backs they need it desperately they need first team quality center backs and Matt hedges has proven to be a first-team quality center back, right? So if TFC find a way, like he's meeting with a a bunch of clubs, right? Toronto FC is not the only club that Matt Hedges is meeting with. Yeah, he was meeting with Cincinnati, I think, yeah? Cincinnati as well, and there's other teams as well. So if he can do play a serviceable role for this team, which he can, I do believe he can, in free agency, you, you go out and make that signing because he's also a fantastic leader and a fantastic human being by all accounts, which, honestly, this team this team needs that as well. And, yeah, as Axis is saying, like, the bar is pretty pretty low at center back right now. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what, it, what, what comes of it.
1: I have no problem with the signing as long as we're not paying him Christmas finger money.
2: But that that might be what it takes to get him, right? Like, he's yeah. a free agent. Like, that's that's right. the point. And, and, clearly, and we'll pay him that money.
1: And that thing's like, I just want us to be wise with how we're spending our money. Like, we need we. That's one area that we we can all agree we definitely not just depth, but you need starters. I mean, you yeah. Ideally, we'd like to see them start sign two center backs that can compete for starting roles.
0: Well, he right? started every game for Dallas last season, and Dallas was one of the best teams in the Western Conference. So there is that. But yeah, continue.
1: I just, I again, I just don't want us to be like. I, I just want us to spend our money wisely, right? We, Even though Toronto is the type of club that has deep pockets, I'm just kind of I'm reaching a point where I just don't want them to spend because we, we can afford to. Yep. I want them to spend wisely.
0: Salary cap is such a valuable currency, right? It's the most valuable asset a team has is cap space when you spend to the budget like Toronto FC, and we've seen that hamper this team in the past notably last year right so you're bang on there you can't just sign a guy for the the sake of signing a guy he has to be at the right number and for me that the right number for Matt Hedges honestly at 32 years old it's more so about term uh but if you can get him on let's say a two plus one at around 750 I I think you, you you do that deal
1: that's if he's would he to sign that though? No. That's like, the mean, thing is, that, it doesn't sound like it, I don't know. Like if 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 FC Dallas wasn't willing to pick up his option, and he, and what, how much of a raise would he have gotten based on what he's he's making? Who knows? You gotta think like he ain't looking to to drop 200k to sign a long term deal, right? Like he's at this age, he's also thinking about his like this could be his last one of his last big contracts.
0: It'll be his last big, if he gets a big contract, it'll be his last big contract.
1: Right. So he's going to, you would think he's not going to, he's going to hold out for as much as he can.
2: Yeah, for sure. And look, if you're touring around the kind of clubs that they're, they're talking about that he's touring around with, like Cincinnati will spend some money. you right. Like, you know, the, the, they, you know, there's clubs that don't mind spending the money. If they think they can get a U.S. center back, um, that is dependable and, and is reliable there. Um, Look, I would love Matt Hedges to be a, a Toronto FC. I think he could fit really well in terms of what they're trying to build. I think. Again, I, I do agree. I'm a little concerned that they may have to over, but not may, they most likely will have to overpay. Okay. Right. Like you, if you're a free agent in MLS, it's such a new commodity mm-hmm. to be a free agent in MLS that, you know, you you try to get as much money as possible. Um, and look, TFC, there's well, I'll put it this way. There are other ways MLSC can maybe compensate him.
0: Hey, hey, no circumventing the cap, man.
1: I don't know what you're talking about. Like-
2: Okay. Okay. enter Miami over there. Um, all right. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's uh, let's wrap it up boys uh, for, for this uh, special Thursday edition. I uh, thank you everybody for listening uh, to another episode of Toronto till I die. We will be back on Monday. Uh, just a reminder starting next week, we'll be on a new podcast feed. So wherever you get your podcast, just search Toronto till I die, subscribe to the new feed. Get that bell, hit that bell for notifications when uh, the pod version uh, drops for you. Of course, if you're watching live, uh, you already know where our YouTube new YouTube uh, pages. So good on you! But let some friends know, uh, get them to subscribe so they can watch us live. Uh, Sean and I uh, will be back with the Tunnel Club um, probably on Sunday. I think, yeah, Um, that'll be the goal. Yeah, yeah, that will be the goal Uh, (laughs) after the Croatia game. uh, They will, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah, exactly. We'll see what shape we're in um, for a post-game show and some reactions uh, to the Croatia game. Um, but, uh, boys, I'll just leave you with any last words before we uh, head out. No, it should be should be fun. Everybody stay
0: safe. Sunday is going to be a great slate of, of just World Cup matches as a whole, but especially especially the Canada-Croatia game. I think everyone's going into it feeling feeling nice after that Belton performance and honestly enjoy this where we have what seven more days left of hopefully longer, but at least seven more days left of world cup football, which is something we've been dreaming of for, for quite some time. So enjoy it guys and, and have fun on Sunday.
1: Yeah, that's about it. You know, I, I wish Sunday was tomorrow, but you know, a few more days before, before that game, I can't wait. I'm excited. Um, confident. I know I know they've already made us all proud. I mean, I think as a nation, it's it's, it's a great vibe right now. Um, and
2: I can't wait for Sunday. Absolutely. Can't wait. Same here. All right, for Michael Singh and for Sean Levy, I'm Mike Newell. We'll see you all on Monday. Cheers, everybody.
0: And wait! And wait! And baby, I'm TFC till I die!